It's uh, 12 o'clock noon on November 25th, 2019. I want to welcome everyone back to the New Jersey webinar series. Uh, I'm here from Lois Law Firm. My name is Joe Jones. I am the partner that heads up the New Jersey team. Uh, as a reminder, we have these webinars uh, for New Jersey the fourth uh, Monday of every month, and our New York series is the third of every month. Today's topic is evaluating exposure in New Jersey. And there's a lot we need to talk about as far as this is concerned. Uh, really, this is our essential job. If you're a risk professional, right, your job is to figure out what kind of exposure any particular case has that comes in. And our job as attorneys is to help you evaluate that. So let's get right to it. Uh, what we will discuss today, okay, we're going to discuss a number of different things. We're going to discuss the when of actually evaluating that exposure. We're going to discuss the how of evaluating that exposure. What is the actual exposure? And that's the big question, right? What are, what are we... What are we paying for? How much are we paying on this claim? I'm going to give you some practical advice to help you figure these things out. Uh, I should remind everybody that this is live and there's a question and answer session. If anybody has any questions, there should be a little box you can type your questions into. Uh, at the end of the presentation, I'll go over that box and see if there's any questions to ask. If you have any questions about anything, even off topic, you can ask those too. If you want to know what I'm having for Thanksgiving dinner, uh, it's probably Cheerios, but you can ask it those questions as well. Not a big fan of turkey. Anyway, uh, so let's move on. All right, uh, there's the box actually that you can type your questions into. Okay, so let's talk about when to actually evaluate exposure. Now here at Lois Law Firm, uh, we do, the first step is intake, right? And at intake, we open our cases within 24 hours. We get answers filed, we get the pleadings out the door, and within seven days, you will have a legal action plan and a litigation budget to give you an idea of basically the overall uh, issues involved in that case and the blueprint of how to go about resolving it. We do make at that point uh, initial evaluations and it's not always easy. Sometimes it's a, a guess admittedly on our part. Uh, it depends on how many medical records we have. It depends on basically the intake materials and documents you've given us. If somebody's already at MMI, I could give you a much better idea obviously as to what that case might be worth uh, as opposed to someone who's still currently treating. So sometimes uh, we'll, we'll be conservative. We'll say, it looks like there's conservative treatment so far. There's no indication of a surgery. So we'll just give you our best guess as to what that conservative case might have been worth. As we move along, we're going to give you updates as to evaluation. And we're going to do this a number of different times throughout the case. So the first one you're going to get is at the lit plan stage. It's going to be an initial best guess that we can give you based on the materials you've given us. The next step is going to be MMI. The good news there is we know what the treatment is. Hopefully there's not any further indications of treatment. There's not two weeks later a petitioner who wants to have another need for treat exam because its back is still bothering him or his leg is still bothering him. So hopefully all the issues, the medical issues have been resolved. We know exactly what the petitioner went through. Did he have surgery? Did he not have surgery? Did he have injections? Did he not have injections? That's gonna be another opportunity for us after we review uh, the medical records you sent us to take a look and update the, the previous uh, evaluation that we gave you in the lit plan. So now if I it was conservative in the lit plan and I said maybe it's just a sprain and strain type case and now I have the medical records and I know that the individual has a herniated disc and maybe that was operated on or maybe it was just injections, I can definitely update my evaluation for you at that time. Another point we're gonna do this is before and after the permanency exams. So we've reached MMI, uh, we're now gonna get permanency exams. We get ours scheduled very, very quickly uh, after MMI. We don't wanna sit around and wait for the petitioner to stop receiving money and start complaining that he wants more money and, he, and his injuries are bothering him more. So we get those permanent exams uh, done quickly. And I could tell you after I get my exam, I can give you an updated evaluation without even seeing the petitioner's permanency exam. 
I already know what they're gonna say. They're gonna be really high numbers that are very unrealistic. Um, so I can definitely give you an evaluation at that point. Once the exams come in, we exchange them, okay? So I will look at theirs. If their exam in any way changes my evaluation, I'm gonna let you know that. Uh, sometimes their numbers are actually lower than I anticipated them to be, which can change the, the way we approach settlement of that case. Uh, other times there's a mess maybe regarding causality or something like that. Maybe they forgot a body part. Some of the petitioner's doctors, they, they you know, you go to examine for a neck and back, they forget to talk about the back at all. So that's something we can certainly work with and give you updated exposure based on those things. The next stage is upon demand. So we've exchanged reports at this point. We've asked our adversary to provide us with a demand to settle. Uh, those demands, I would say a good portion of them are very unrealistic that come in, they're very high. Uh, sometimes you get an attorney who's not familiar with the workers' comp system. So there's a really, really uh, high and unreasonable. But if you have a very good adversary who knows what they're doing, they generally will give you a pretty good uh, demand that should be in sort of the realm of where it is. Once we have that demand, I could definitely update settlement evaluation for you. At that point, uh, many times a case might be worth X amount of dollars, just say 25% of partial total, and we get a demand in for 25% of partial total. Well, guess what? We're not paying that 25% of partial total, no matter what. Because that petitioner's attorney maybe didn't know enough about his own case and gave the demand too low, that works in our favor. We're gonna sell your case for even less than what that case is worth. So that's another critical juncture as to when we evaluate. Then you could also have a conference uh, with the judge. Now, New Jersey is kind of particular uh, because, and interesting, because the judges are involved often in the conferences as to giving their opinions on what that case is worth. Uh, in other states like New York, there is no pre-conferencing of value on a case. You just go into a hearing and that judge is gonna decide what the value of that case is. In New Jersey, we have the benefit, uh, sometimes it hurts us, sometimes it doesn't, uh, of sitting in with the judge and saying, judge, what do you think? We show them the perm reports, we show that judge the medical records and we talk about all the issues involved in that case. And the judges will often give us their opinion on where they think the case is gonna come in at. Sometimes they give a range, sometimes they're very specific. Uh, some of the judges refuse to do that. Every once in a while you get one that says, oh, I don't really wanna tell you guys how to settle your cases, you go and settle it. Uh, but most of the time they do contribute and give information and input into that process. Um, also pretrial. So if we know we're gonna try a case, you have to file what's called a pretrial form. It's the green sheet, uh, as we like to call it in workers' compensation. As part of that, the judge has to put down their value of what they think the case is worth. Uh, and they have to write that actually on the green sheet. So that's another opportunity at least look at value and update the client, update you guys as to whether or not uh, that value is close to where we thought it would be or higher or lower or whatever the case might be. And then finally, after a conference or pretrial. So there are times where we will get out of that conference, the judge will give an opinion of some kind as to what they think about this case and why, uh, and then we'll, we'll write that up to you and say, look, we have additional factors, we have additional input from somebody, and here's what's going on. What do you wanna do? Or what do we think it, how do we think it might affect uh, our value overall? Okay, how do we estimate exposure? So let's talk about that. We estimate exposure by specific body parts, all right? In New Jersey, the workers' compensation statutes set forth certain body parts, and those body parts that are not set forth on what, what we like to call the charts are considered the partial total category. So you will see if you look at the chart, uh, there's a list of how many weeks, there's a list of how many dollars each body part is, and there's a list of body parts and percentages. Okay, and on that chart, it'll list out certain body parts. You'll see a leg, you'll see an arm, uh, you'll see a, 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 a eye, stuff like that, if you look at the chart. But for your bigger non-scheduled body parts, usually your shoulders, your backs, your necks, 
uh, even psych, those are considered partial total, which is the category all the way to the right-hand side of the chart. And that's generally a, a different type of thing in terms of considering value. But the, the scheduled body parts, they have percentages right on the chart. You can immediately, 25% of the leg, you, you go to 25%, you go to the leg, you go across and you can find out how much that case is worth. Uh, the way we figure out, other than looking at the chart, it used to be back when I started practicing, the chart was the only thing available. Uh, New Jersey manufacturers seemed to be the one who created a book of all the charts for each year. And they would, uh, we would you know, try and secure that book so we can kind of look at the chart and know and carry that around with us. Uh, we've advanced, thankfully, technology-wise, and uh, we don't have to do that anymore, although some people do still carry around the charts and the book with them. What the judges rely on now and all the attorneys rely on now, and we will certainly rely on when we, when we advise you and tell you about exposure, is what's called an Oscar program. Okay, uh, It's part of the Department of Labor's website. If you go to their website, uh, it, it tells you exactly how to get it, how you can download it to your computer. Uh, there's also a... a, a a uh, net available one, a web a web page one, so you don't have to look, download it to your computer. You could just go on the internet and access it that way. Essentially, as you can see from the chart here, you're going to put in percentages of the body parts for the scheduled, the, the different scheduled body parts. It even lists columns for the non-scheduled, so the partial total categories. So, for example, uh, it'll list out neck, back, uh, shoulder, stuff like that, and it'll even list out right and left. The important thing about doing this calculation, you always need to know the year of the accident because that'll determine what rate is being used. And you also need to know the petitioner's average weekly wage. There are some very low average weekly wages, which will what's called cap out uh, the perm rate and make it that the petitioner receives lower than they normally would with someone who has a higher wage. So once you know those things, the year of the accident, the average weekly wage, and the, the uh, estimated body part or percentage that you're looking at, you can enter those things into Oscar. You hit calculate and it brings you to a new screen. You hit calculate one more time and it'll actually tell you the break it down, how much dollars per week for a total of whatever that number is. Now, beware of stacking. Okay, stacking is the concept that a leg is worth, 25% of a leg is worth 25% of a leg. 15% of partial total for a back injury is worth 15% of partial total for a back injury. However, if you have somebody who gets hurt in multiple body parts in one accident, you have the potential for stacking. So if you have an arm injury, 10% of a right arm, and maybe 25% of a right leg, and then maybe 10% of uh, maybe a neck injury, those things all stack. They actually all add up and then will be totaled in the partial total category. This is an opportunity, a very bad opportunity, for the value of a case to rise dra uh, dramat dramatically or drastically. Um, the more body parts someone has involved in an accident, the higher that stacking can be and the more quickly you get to the higher numbers. So as much as possible, we'd like to avoid stacking uh, there have been times, for example, where if you have a leg accident and a back accident, you can separate those out and pay them separately. That sometimes is recommended because then they're not stacking together in one accident. Uh, so sometimes there's overlap where maybe somebody had a back and leg and then a separate accident with just the back. So stuff like that. But if we could avoid stacking, we want to try and do that because it does get high up in the numbers quickly. Uh, partial permanent disability. So this is the, the partial total category. Um, that's kind of where you're gonna rely on your counsel to sort of figure out where you need to be in that partial total category uh, amount and what the range is for that injury. So uh, two herniated discs versus one herniated disc. A herniated disc with no epidural injections versus a herniated disc with epidural injections. These type things are sort of nuances within the partial total category that uh, you're, you gotta rely on your counsel for to sort of figure out where you're gonna be on that range. Uh, 
All right, so now we're gonna move on to uh, jurisdictional specific factors that impact exposure. So at this point, we kind of know how what your case is worth. We're at MMI, we've exchanged reports, we've given you at least four or five different stages of updating exposure. And now you're gonna say to me, well, how do I limit my exposure? Or what, uh, what kind of things can actually impact what you've now told me you think the case is worth? So let's look at those things. Pre-existing uh, disability. This is amazing, Abdullah Credit. Abdullah is the name of the case that it's based on. Uh, this is when someone was injured before and they received an award from a workers' compensation accident. We get a credit, dollar for dollar in today's dollars, uh, for that amount that they were paid. So if somebody had a prior 25% of partial total for a back injury and they're coming to us now and it's worth 35%, you actually pay out 35% with a credit of that 25% of partial total. Uh, this is a huge difference. It's a huge way to reduce your exposure. Um, and one of the great things about New Jersey is not only is it prior workers' comp accidents, but it's prior accidents in general. So we can actually seek through discovery, uh, subpoena prior records, prior motor vehicle accidents, prior fall down accidents, anything that's gone on in that, life's, that person's life to see what, if any, lasting impact those injuries have had. And if it's the same body part for the case that we have, you're going to be able to get some kind of a credit. Um, it's not going to be as straightforward as the Abdullah credit, the known number, right? So if you have a workers' comp case where you had a prior 25% of partial total, I know what that number is. But if you have a motor vehicle accident where somebody had maybe a herniated disc and it wasn't a workers' comp accident, there's no award in workers' comp for that amount. So it's harder to figure out what that's worth. That's where you're going to rely on counsel again, because they kind of do know what those things are worth in terms of getting a credit uh, upon settlement with, with, uh, through court and through arguing with the judge and your adversary. Voluntary tenders. Okay, so this is your clients, uh, your petitioners reached MMI, and you know you have a pretty bad accident on your hand, so you want to pay him what's called a voluntary tender. You want to give him money up front, which is going to reduce the amount of money you pay later on at the permanency stage. After the reports have been done, they've been exchanged, and you've done the settlement negotiations. There used to be a great advantage to doing this. The great advantage was the carrier got the benefit of saving on attorney's fees that would be the amount of that voluntary tender later on in the settled case. So if in fact $10,000 was given as a voluntary tender and the case settled later on, you deducted that $10,000 before assessing attorney's fees, which meant a savings to the carrier. Uh, unfortunately, that doesn't really happen anymore. There's been case law change uh, that changes that whole process. And now there are no attorney fee um, breaks given to voluntary tenders. So there's really not a lot of situations really where we're recommending them uh, just because you don't, you don't get a benefit for it. There are certain situations, I guess, where a petitioner is sometimes desperate for money, uh, but I'd rather move that closer to a settled case faster to get him his money and maybe section 20 of that case and get him, you know, lump sum money. So if he's really that desperate. So uh, voluntary tenders, although a way to certainly reduce your exposure, uh, aren't really occurring that much anymore. Section 40 lien. This is huge. If there's a third party case that in any way impacts your accident, maybe a motor vehicle accident, maybe a slip and fall that's not on your employer's premises, maybe a, an assault by somebody who's not a coworker. These things have very real consequences to your workers' compensation case. You have an avenue potentially to get back two-thirds of your expenses that you pay out on your workers' compensation case. That's your medical, your temp, and your permanency, all, all paid out, and all potentially two-thirds of that coming back to you. Uh, as Because essentially the theory is the petitioner should not recover twice for the same accident. So the Section 40 lien is huge. If you're aware of an issue in your case, um, or even if you think there might be and you're not really sure of the facts, please mention that to your counsel. Uh, we need to know those things. We will pursue those things. 
And what's great is even if that person, let's just say a person has a car accident, they don't want to pursue the third party case because they think eh, it's just a lot of work and I'm not really going to get much money. We can pursue that on your behalf anyway. So it's really important. We have a civil department here at Lois Law Firm uh, who are experts in doing this and, and getting the, the goals that you want and getting your money back. So Section 40 lien should not be overlooked. It's very, very important. If there's even the suggestion that someone else caused these injuries, someone other than an employee or your employer, please let us know that. Uh, you know, a lot of times, like I said, it comes up slip and falls where maybe you're not the guy's a driver or something. He slips and falls on someone else's property. That could be a big so source of uh, uh, Section 40 lien. And of course, motor vehicle accidents are the biggest one of that. So let us know if those are the circumstances and we'll certainly uh, review that for you. Okay, second injury fund. So this is where, these are, this is an important step because you're probably at the case now, at the point now where you're looking at your case and you're thinking this guy might be totaled. He's got enough body parts injured. His percentages are kind of high up there. He's not working anymore. He can't return to work. And his doctors are probably saying things like that, that you're thinking this case might be totaled. Now, paying out total disability is a lot of money. You pay for the lifetime of that petitioner. So it's potentially a long, long payout. Uh, how do we reduce that? Well, one of the ways you reduce that is the second injury fund. Second injury fund essentially pays out if the petitioner, the cause of the petitioner's total disability is not just our accident, but other things in his life. And that can include things like diabetes, things like motor vehicle accidents, things like prior fall downs, even prior worker comp, workers' comp related uh, claims. Our goal uh, when we're representing you is to, sh is to shift the focus from He's not totaled as a result of us. He's totaled as a result of everything that's gone on in that person's life. And therefore, we're asking the second injury fund to contribute uh, and, and seriously reduce your exposure. So if you have a case that looks like it's going towards total, you want to consider, can the second injury fund be involved? And it's a very important step, a very important analysis that, that should be done. It, this also involves getting their social security information, uh, their ACE information, which is the, kind of the max amount that they're allowed to receive under social security. And there's a really big um, mathematical analysis that can be done on these cases to see what your real exposure is. So if you think you, you have one of those cases, you have to mention that the council. It's a really good way to potentially reduce that exposure. Okay, and then judge and venue. So this is, New Jersey's interesting with this. Depending on the judge you have, depending on the hearing point you're in, you can have a much different exposure analysis. Okay, um, many judges, uh, there are judges who've had shoulder surgery, rotator cuff tear surgery, and they value those cases much different than a judge who has not had that surgery. Why? Because they've been through it. And they think it's worth more, obviously, because of the pain that they went and the difficulties they went through. So knowing a lot about your judges and knowing a lot about the venue you're in uh, is certainly important information that we can help you with in terms of what your potential outcome is going to be and how you can limit your exposure on those cases. In New Jersey, we have a weird thing. There's a, a, there's a map up now that shows you a red line. That's about the New Brunswick area. Uh, North Jersey and South Jersey are, uh, it's the Raritan, I think it's the Raritan River is where we do that line. But uh, North and South Jersey are very different when it comes to valuation. Generally speaking, South Jersey is going to value their cases a little bit higher than North Jersey. Um, they're just different. It's a different way of thinking. You can split our state between teams, right? The North Jersey people basically support the New York teams, the Giants and the Jets. The South Jersey people are Philadelphia Eagle fans. They don't want to hear anything about the New York Giants or the Jets. So it's a different mentality. Uh, another mentality, which we discuss in the office often, is North Jersey believes in Taylorham, 
South Jersey believes in pork roll. It's Taylorham people, trust me. Anyway, so uh, getting off, off tar, uh, topic there. So South Jersey, North Jersey have different mentalities and that, that translates even into workers' compensation. So depending on what hearing we're at, I can have the exact same injury, the exact same petitioner. I could go to Atlantic City Court or I can go to Patterson and it's two different values that I'm gonna wind up with. So again, rely on your counsel, rely on the advice that they give you in terms of which judge you're before and uh, which hearing point you're before, because it does make a difference. All right, um, I didn't realize that actually I spoke pretty much about everything and that leaves me with just questions. So <laughs> this went faster than I thought. I don't know if it did for you guys, but uh, let's take a look at questions. Let's see if we have any, we have a lot of attendees today. So hold on here, clicking. I've been entrusted with pressing the buttons to find these. So uh, it looks like no one's asking any questions. I can't possibly be that informative. Am I that informative that no one has any questions? All right, uh, feel free to email me if you have a question. Oh wait, is this a, is this a question? No, okay, so apparently I am informative. I don't really believe that, but anyway, if you have any questions, feel free to email me. I'm at jjones at loisllc.com, uh, and it doesn't have to be about this topic. You can ask me anything New Jersey related, uh, no problem at all. Uh, I want to say one last thing before we sign off. Uh, in the spirit of Thanksgiving coming up this week, I wanted to thank everybody who continues to support these webinars. Uh, we do a lot of work here to get these going and, and keep you guys informed as much as possible, but we wouldn't do this and wouldn't need to do this and wouldn't want to do this without you. So I really thank you for continuing to watch, continuing to be involved. And uh, if there's any way we can fine tune this process, if there's any input you want to give, feel free to email me and we can certainly uh, consider the things you're saying. So I hope, I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy the short week that we have and uh, good luck. Talk to you soon.